Welcome to the Looks Like Wandering podcast. I'm your host, Allie Barnes, and I just woke up, so I have a morning voice, <laughs> but I wanted to get this recorded and the episode out to you. This is season two, episode six, and today we are talking to my new friend, Emily LeBaron. She is an incredible mental health advocate, a therapist in training, and today she is talking about how having to leave her mission early led to a faith crisis and how she worked through that. I think there are a lot of principles in this interview that can relate to a lot of people, whether it's struggles agreeing with decisions from leadership in the church, whether it's having to come home from your mission early or other changes of plans that weren't expected that were really difficult and heartbreaking or how to help someone and support someone who has come home from their mission early and how to talk to them. We talk about that later in the episode, and I think that is so valuable. I'm just so grateful to Emily for sharing her experience. Emily, let's go ahead and have you start by sharing a little bit about who you are and introducing yourself to our listeners. Yes, so I am currently a student at the University of Utah. I am studying social work. I'm in my last semester, so I'll graduate in about a month, which I'm really excited about. I work right now as a nanny, which I've done for the last three years, and I love. Um, I grew up kind of moving around, but most of my growing up was in Maryland. And then when I was 17, my family moved to Salt Lake City, and I've pretty much been here ever since. Nice. And social work. I love that. Yeah, it's the best field. I love it to death. Oh, I love that. And you have to have, I feel like, a special heart to be in that. And I can just see that in you already by the the work that you do. I know that you have that heart and I love that. And you're going to be so great for people. I love that you're doing that. That's so sweet. So uh, we specifically on this podcast talk about Um, faith journeys and transitions and and things like that. And I know that you have a unique story with that as well. So yeah, tell us about your faith journey and also what led to that. Yeah, so I grew up a member of the church. My parents are both members. Um, And so I have always grown up in the church, going to church. I've loved the community. Some of my best friends came from my ward in Maryland. And my parents both served missions in Finland. Um, It's actually how they met. They met at a mission reunion years later. And so missions were a big part of what I heard about growing up. Um, They both had mission stories to tell. And I knew that I always wanted to go on a mission. I am young for my grade. So like I graduated at 17 from high school and then turned 18. Mm. And... um, I wouldn't change it because I love having a summer birthday, but it does put me a little bit behind. And so when I graduated high school, I knew I just wanted to spend my time doing something until I could turn 19 and go on a mission. Like it was all about just waiting to turn 19. So I kind of did a couple different things. I went to BYU-Idaho for a semester. I took like a mission prep class there that was awesome. And I had my papers turned in as soon as they possibly could be turned in. And I put my birthday as my availability date. And um, I got my mission call for six days after my birthday is when I was going to leave. Yeah. So um, I was called to California Riverside, Spanish speaking. 
and I was really excited. I was a little bit disappointed to be going stateside. Um, <laughs> it definitely wasn't necessarily my first choice, but I had never been to California because I had grown up on the East Coast. Mm. And so the thought of like living in California was really cool. I also had never taken Spanish. I'd only taken French in school. And so learning Spanish was going to be like a whole new thing for me. So I, you know, I prepared, I worked, I was ready to go. Um, and I got to the MTC and by like day one, I was like, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I knew it was going to be hard, but there's a difference between knowing it's going to be hard and then actually doing it. And so, you know, within one day I was like, this is a lot harder than I anticipated. And, um, I ended up being really stressed. I have depression and anxiety and um, it's something that's managed, but my mission, it was on my mission papers and they knew about it. And so um, two days into my stay at the MTC, they sent me a letter that said, um, you know, we know that you have depression and anxiety. We just want to make sure that you're okay. Could you fill out this little like stress test? And I didn't find this out until later, but I scored a 96 on my stress test and they're hoping you score about a 30. So my, oh. <laughs> <laughs> my stress and anxiety was like through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they ended up putting me in therapy with LDS Family Services there to help me manage it. And it was awesome. Like, it was fantastic. I loved the therapist I saw. Um, and I felt like through that, things became much better. You know, I felt like I gained kind of a new perspective. I was having tools. I hadn't been in therapy for a while, so it was just helpful to be in it in general. Um it was just, it was like the best experience. I'm so grateful they did that for me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going along. Things are doing well. I'm there for six weeks because it's, I'm Spanish speaking. And about week four, I notice I've been having headaches and I'm tired. Of course, I think everyone was tired, but it felt like I was a little bit more tired than everyone. And I had one headache that really forced me to go lay down. But other than that, it was just, you know, I kept going with all my daily activities. I didn't miss anything. It was just kind of irritating. And so um, around the same time, my companion got sick and she went to the MTC doctor and the MTC doctor gave her this sheet that was like tips and tricks for how to get rid of colds. And it had a lot of like really good information on it. And so when I saw that paper, I was like, I want to get one of those, but for headaches, mm. like I'll go in, I'll be like, I have some headaches and he'll just give me like a tips and tricks paper for that. And so I make an appointment. I, this is my fourth week. I go in and he tells me, he's like, well, you know, we, he doesn't have one of those papers. He does some blood work on me. And then he, um, just tells me, I want you to come back in a week right before you go to California. Um, we talked about kind of changing my diet, but in the MTC, there's really not a whole lot you can do to change your diet. No. <laughs> so I, you know, we just kind of talked. I mean, it was a very short appointment, maybe 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I came back the following Thursday and I got into the room and I sat down and he sat across from me and he just said, 
you're going home. And I was like, what? What? Like I felt totally blindsided. (laughs) Yeah. Because nothing had ever been mentioned to me. And I was sitting there and it just felt like one of those moments in the movies where like everything kind of slows down. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he just said, your headaches are too much. You're going to, they have to be treated at home. And here's the name of someone you're going to, you're about to go see and talk to. And we're going to make this work. And it just felt like this weird, like days. Like I had, I felt like I had no idea what was going on. So then I'm going to this other office and, um, talking with a district president. And at this point I'm like, okay, I can turn this around. Like I will, I'll, I'll make this work somehow. I'm not going home. And so I I like sit with the district president and I am suggesting everything I can possibly think of. I'm like, keep me in the MTC and treat me here. And he's like, no, we don't really do that. I'm like, treat me in California. Like I'm not going to a foreign country. I'm still within the U S I have insurance treat me in California. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. And I was like, I mean, I seriously ran through every option I could think of. And then I just said anything like I will do anything to stay. Just tell me what I have to do to stay. And he just kind of sat back and he looked at me and he was like, you don't have a choice. You're going home. Wow. And it was just like the most heartbreaking thing. Um, when I was in that office, I cried like the really heavy, like, I don't know, heaving tears. (laughs) And it was to the point where he was like, okay. Um, then he like called my mom. She was at work. She wasn't, she had no idea. And all of a sudden it was like, you need to come pick up your daughter tomorrow Hmm. from the MTC. And the whole, I mean, it just felt crazy to all of us in that that last day I was there, I was like, I, this just can't be happening. And then Friday morning, my parents came and picked me up and I went home and it was that Tuesday, the following Tuesday was, um, when I was supposed to fly to California. Mm -hmm. So I was like days away from going. And then all of a sudden I was back home and I was still 19. It was only six weeks later. And I was all of a sudden an early return missionary. Wow. That is a big, sudden, unexpected change. Yeah, it was very, very unexpected. Okay. So what happened when you got home? Like, how did you cope? How did you adjust? What were you processing through all that? So I actually decided I was really, really smart. And I was going to process it all weekend. Like I came home Friday and I was like, I will process it Saturday, Sunday. And by Monday, <laughs> I will be back and ready to go. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was actually convinced that was how it was going to go down. And everyone who came to saw me or came to see me, I said, was like, I will be back to normal by Monday. So everything will be totally fine. <laughs> Um, when I first got home, it was all about finding a doctor because I was given the possibility of going back. And so I immediately found a doctor and he ended up being incredible. He was a primary care doctor, but specialized in headaches. And so he was able to give me a lot of help, um, with headaches, which I had been having for years. I actually thought it was normal for people to have headaches every day. Like I just thought, 
a daily headache was like what everybody had. And then I went to the doctor and I was like, huh, I guess not. And so he helped me um, with different medications. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have headaches every day, which just felt absolutely incredible. But I was kind of left with this, like, what do I do? Because medications take time to work and you have to prove stability on them in order to go back out. And it wasn't like I was sick enough to be at home all day. I wasn't like laying in bed. Um, Both my parents worked, all my siblings were in school. So it was just me. I didn't have a car. I was just hanging out at home by myself. And there's like only so much Netflix that one can watch. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have school. I mean, I did for the first time in my life, I had absolutely nothing lined up because I, I never created a backup plan. Like I never planned to come home early. And so there was never like a, well, if I come home early, I'll do this because I, I just never thought I would come home early. And so I ended up, um, because my mom works at an elementary school she saw that her school was hiring um, special education aides. And so she got me an interview and I got a job there. And so I ended up um, working with my mom at the school for a while, which was really good, all while trying to kind of cope with the fact that I came home early and that part I did a little less of. (laughs) But... um, Anyway, I ended up working at the school, which was an absolutely incredible opportunity. How was was your faith doing during all this? Where does that come in? I don't like I, I came home and it felt like all of the problems I had had in my life, the church, well, not the church. God was the one I could turn to like this is going on. And this is really hard, but I always felt like I could kind of lean on my faith in that. And all of a sudden, my trial, my struggle was with the church. Like it wasn't this outside thing happening and, you know, me leaning on my faith like it was the church. And, you know, for the most part, people were very supportive of me. I My ward was incredibly supportive. But overall, I didn't feel like I got a lot of clarity. Um, The way I was sent home didn't follow protocol, and I didn't understand why, and I couldn't get anyone to talk to me. I was emailing the MTC, and I was like, please tell me, like, what happened? What, what went on? What, how did we get from one appointment of normal blood work to the next appointment? You're going home. Like, there was such a gap there that I just didn't understand. And so I, I fought really hard for answers. I, I felt really disappointed in myself. I felt like the Lord was really disappointed in me because I'd come home early. Like, I, I felt like a total failure. And I, I, I felt like God thought I was a failure. And so I kind of started to distance myself because it was easier to do that than to feel like a failure. And so I, I went to church, um, but I struggled reading my scriptures and praying and, 
And then when it came to going back out, um, by the time I was finally eligible to go back out, I had started to develop some complications with the medication I was on. And it just didn't feel like the right thing for me to go. And so I, I counseled with my state president and my doctor. And just after talking it through it, it didn't seem like it was going to be the right thing. And so in the end, I, I didn't go back out and I just stayed home. But that's when my faith really started to take a toll because it felt like being sent home was one thing, like that was out of my control, but staying home was another, like that was a decision that I made. And so that's when it really started to feel like, like I had failed. I had totally failed as a missionary. And I, I just, I'd always wanted to serve a mission And it felt so disappointing to me that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to, um, that like, I don't have mission store. I mean, even today I will be in groups with people and we'll all be talking about missions. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have mission stories. I don't have something to contribute, but I always thought I would. Like I always thought I was going to have that experience. And so for a long time I mourned, I still mourn that, like not having had that experience because that was something I really wanted, but I, I just wasn't in a position where I could do it, which was, which was really hard. Right after I, um, came home or decided I was going to stay home, I asked my bishop to give me a calling because I felt like I needed something to keep me going to church. I was like, I, I need something that will motivate me to keep going and to keep attending. And he ended up calling me as a primary teacher because I stayed in my family ward. And so I did that for almost a year. Okay, first off, I love that you work with kids at a school. You work with kids in primary. You're being a social worker. Like, this is your heart. I knew it. <laughs> I can just see that in your heart. But there's so many things that I just want to... Okay, going back to even the MTC though, so I so I served a mission and I came home early um, as well. But yeah, I, I just had a really hard time on my mission. But I remember like hating the MTC. It felt like I would call it spirit prison, uh-huh. which actually like I just was like I hate this. Like it's not how I learn. It's not how I function or thrive. You know. Um. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but also, you know, what you're saying about, about feeling like you're disappointing God and and things of the church. I feel like sometimes it's really, sometimes we, I think, confuse God with the church or make it one in the same or just so interconnected. Um, and I feel like that's something that I've been learning, especially over the last couple of years myself of, differentiating differentiating those two um absolutely yeah but i don't think we naturally yeah there's always that combination it takes some effort to i think differentiate those does that make Mm -hmm. sense yes it took me oh i think i was home for almost a year before i felt like 
maybe people within the church are disappointed in me, but God is not disappointed in me. It took a really long time to see the difference. And also I had people who were telling me, you know, oh, you have to trust the men who sent you home and their priesthood authority and that they knew what they were doing. And it, and to me then, because it was equated with priesthood authority, then it was like a decision from God. And what I've come to the conclusion is that the way that things were handled was not the way God would handle things. And I, I think there were a lot of mistakes made on the part of the church and the, um, the way things were handled with everything. But that doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean that God made those decisions, if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. I, I feel like I used to hear and also repeat the phrase, like, the church is perfect, the people are not. You know, I remember hearing that, and I've said that, and and I would just kind of, you know, use that as an excuse for things. But really, I think it's it's okay to take the actions and the words of mortals with a huge grain of salt, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they are just people... Um, and if you, I don't know, you, you can't, I don't know. They are just people, Mm -hmm. but God's love, I believe is boundless. It's amazing. And, and I think, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm like lost. I'm like processing and thinking (laughs) (laughs) anyways. Yes. Okay. I'm going to let you continue with, with your faith journey. Can you tell us more about it? And and kind of where you took that and and how you started healing some of those wounds. So it actually took, so I have almost been home three years and I still feel like I'm kind of healing from it. There are times, you know, homecomings and farewells are hard for me. Um, for a long time, I just didn't attend them. If I went to sacrament meeting and I saw that on the docket was a homecoming or farewell, I would just leave because it was truly just too painful for me to do. And, and so it, take care of yourself. That's a <laughs> yeah. So that's what I, I did for a long time. And even still, I don't love going to them, but I feel like I can kind of handle it a little bit more. Um, it took a lot of therapy, really. Um, I ended up going back into therapy maybe a year and a half after I got home. And that's where I felt like I was able to do a lot of the processing of that event. It also took realizing that like a mission is just a very small portion of life. Like it is not a whole life and it is not a measure of spirituality or commitment to God. I think I saw it as like, if I'm not a returned missionary, then I'm not as committed to God. But you get people who are f- very committed, who never served missions, and then those who do serve missions and end up being not very committed. And so it, you know, a mission doesn't say anything about who you are and your relationship to God, which took me a while to understand. <laughs> And also, it took me finally realizing that there's like life 
outside of a mission. Like for so long, the mission had been that thing I wanted to do that, that like big event. And so all of a sudden I was like, I have to kind of plan what I'm going to do from here on out. And that's actually how I ended up finding social work, which I consider to be one of the biggest blessings since I came home from my mission. I finished my job in um, May of 2019 um, at the school. And I started going to the U that same month. And I have not had a semester off since then. Like I have done summer, fall, spring since I decided that social work was what I wanted to do. But does it fuel you? Do you love it? I love it. I I really, really love it. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. You know, I feel like, I don't know. And this is just me throwing this out there, but I feel like this is part of your mission. Like Mm -hmm. everything that you're doing right now, because you are a mental health advocate, you work with and have worked with children, you are becoming a social worker. And I would venture to say probably a really great social worker, you know, (laughs) because you have this passion for it. And I think that is, you know, if your path took you this way, even if you couldn't see it at the time, I think that's a really beautiful path. And I think this is part of your mission. And I love that. Social work ended up being the blessing that I didn't know I wanted or needed. I I was one of those kids in high school who like really wanted to know what I was going to do when I like career wise. I mean, I really wanted to. And I for a while I was like, I'm going to go into business and then business felt kind of boring to me. And I just I could never decide. And it was like a really heavy burden on me. I I didn't have the attitude of just like, oh, I'll figure it out when I figure it out. It was like, I really want to know. And if I hadn't been working at the school, I don't know that I ever would have found social work the way that I did. And not just found it, but I worked with social workers. So I saw it firsthand. And, you know, it was so much more than just like hearing about it as a profession, which I think was really helpful for me. I also, um, you know, I, at the time I was like, I just want this all to go away. Like, that's what I would pray for. I was like, please just let this, this whole thing go away and I'll just be back on my mission. And it's like, this never happened and we're totally fine. And it was almost like, because I was so focused on that idea of a blessing, I missed this whole other blessing that was happening to me where I found a career that I loved and was excited about and passionate about. And that gave me such a sense of purpose that all of a sudden it felt like my mission wasn't this main focus of my life anymore, this like main failure, because I felt like now I am going to take what I have been through and I'm going to use it to help other people. And it's, I don't know. Like I, I'm sad that I missed that for so long is that that's the blessing I was receiving. But I think it's so interesting that sometimes, you know, we can ask for one thing and get something totally different that we don't even know we need. But I think long-term social work is serving my life far better than a mission was going to. I love that. So switching gears just slightly 
what is your relationship with your heavenly father like now? Do you want to testify of that or like how you view, how you view God now after this trial? I think before my mission, I knew that hard things could happen to people who are doing everything right. And I think that's one of those things we just like throw out there. But it's a lot harder when it actually happens to you. <laughs> like when you feel like you're doing everything right and then something goes totally wrong and you're like, why did that happen? I truly saw God as like an orchestrator of everything and that, you know, nothing was coincidence and everything was like part of a greater plan. And so all of a sudden when I came home, I was like, okay, well then this has to be part of a greater plan. Like, I don't know, maybe by being home, I'm serving somebody that I don't know about, or in like 10 years, this experience is going to make sense to me and whatever. And honestly, it still makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that I don't know that there was really a, a huge purpose behind. And for the first time, that's when I saw that um, I, I know we have agency, but that was, I felt like the first time I saw that I could be negatively impacted by other people's agency. And that because that happened, that doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. Like it doesn't mean that because I, I was sent home, that was part of God's will and that he made sure that it happened. Um, I saw it more as just, that was like, that was an unfortunate part of my mortal experience that came about by my body and the fact that I was impacted by decisions other people made. And so now I see God way more as someone who loves us, or I'll speak for myself, who loves me and cares about me. And I almost want to say like a cheerleader, someone who's there like rejoicing, um, in the times where I am successful and there for me in the times when I'm not and when things are really hard. And it's such a different view of God than I had before. I also saw God as very judgmental. Um, and I now think he is just so loving, like so, so incredibly loving and just there. I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing that. I know I kind of just threw that out there. So <laughs> like <laughs> surprise question. Um, before we end, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? Just um, specifically talking about missions and early return missionaries. I know I felt very alone I felt like I was the only one who had come home early from a mission. And I knew I wasn't, but I didn't really know anybody else who had come home early. And it felt very painful to feel like that. And so if there's anyone who is an early return missionary, I want to say that you are so not alone. Like there are so many early return missionaries out there who are more than willing to talk and help. Um, and also... Um, one of my biggest things about missionaries who come home early is a lot of people, and this was all in um, 
No one was doing this maliciously, but a lot of people in my ward were afraid to talk to me. They didn't want to um, make me upset or I don't know. So often they would talk to my mom and they would say like, how is she doing? What's going on? And I just want to say like, don't be afraid to approach early return missionaries. I wanted more than anything for people to come up and talk to me. I did not want to be by myself. I didn't want to not hear um, or not have people reach out. And sometimes I didn't respond, but it always meant the world to me. And so I, I hope that we can kind of change this culture a little bit of almost isolating early return missionaries, whether it is intentional or unintentional, because, I mean, someone who comes home early just needs love and support and especially no judgment. Yes. I, I mean, I came home early, but I know in the past I've had family members come home early and I don't want to offend or assume mm-hmm. they came home for a certain reason or pry or something, which is now that you say that I'm like, this is so silly. And I probably just, I don't know, but like, what is a good I've, thing I've to ask? I've done the same or, thing. Yeah. What's a good thing to ask or say, or like for someone who's like blanking and doesn't want to offend, where do you start? What do you say? So I always, um, I mean, like I had a friend who came home early a couple of months ago and we talked about it and I was just like, how are you doing? You know? And then I said, um, you can tell me as much or as little you want about what happened, but I want to hear about it because I wanted to tell my story to everybody. Like, I did not want to keep it a secret or, like, under wraps. I wanted to basically put it on a sign and wear it my first day back to church and be like, this is what happened. Come read about it. And so I I would just say, I don't know the right way to phrase this. Like, say... Um, Less of a question, but more of a statement as I am here if you want to talk. Because we often phrase things as questions and then feel, um, I don't know, feel like maybe we can only ask so much. And I think when it's more of a statement, the other person can decide if they want, um, if they want to engage with it or not. The other thing that I've learned in my classes, I've only applied this a little bit, but I think it's really neat is asking permission to ask about something. Um, for example, saying, are you okay if I ask you about your mission? And then if the per the gives the person the opportunity to say, no, you know, not right now. And that's fine. You know, then it's done. Or they can say, yes, I totally want to talk about it because you're asking someone to be vulnerable with you, which is hard. And so by giving them the opportunity to say, no, they're going to feel a lot more safe to talk about it. Thank you so much to Emily for sharing her story with us today and all of her wisdom and, oh, I'm so grateful. You can find Emily on Instagram at shop living for hope. And if you hop onto my Instagram at looks like wandering today, we have a little discount code for you for her shop. So thank you so much, Emily. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to the podcast, leaving us a positive review following us on Instagram at looks like wandering and you can find more about the podcast online at looks like wandering.com. 
I want to mention that I might be taking a little break from doing the podcast, but all the updates again will be on social media at Looks Like Wandering. Have a great week.